Here we go. Hey guys, Steve here. Potent Ponics. Today we're going to talk about growing more fishes. Growing with fishes. Hey everybody, welcome to a very awesome episode, episode 279. Um, this is the very first time we've ever done back-to-back -back episodes two nights in a row. So uh, definitely a, a first for the show, so super cool to have him on. Um, uh, James Wellborn is a, a super cool guy that I actually had a chance to meet out in Michigan. Uh, we had a bit of a schedule change up this week, so we thought, you know what, let's get him on. I was really stoked to get him on. And um, we, we were actually booked out pretty far, so I want to get him on right away. And uh, it all worked out great. So we're super excited to have him on the show tonight. So thanks a lot for joining us, Jason. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Hell yeah. He's uh, uh, got all kinds of cool talents and all kinds of cool projects he's working on. Uh, we'll get to, into that in just a few minutes. Um, we also have uh, Marty Waddell. Thanks for joining us, Marty. Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Good to have you on, man. Um, we uh, missed you last night. It was good times. We had a, a Jordan River from Growcast on and Brandon from Spectrum King. It was all kinds of fun. So Yeah, I just didn't didn't know about it until late. So I uh, I had already had plans, so I couldn't make it last night. But uh, yeah, appreciate you guys. No worries. Holding it down. Yeah, it was very last minute change of schedule yesterday. So it all worked out. Um, yeah. Alrighty, well, uh, um, if you guys aren't aware, uh, Marty and I, oh, I forgot to pull it up. There we go. Uh, Marty and I also have an online virtual aquaponic cannabis class. You can check it out at apmjclass.com. Uh, we have uh, over 700 slides, um, all of them with recorded um, uh, talks on each one, and a whole bunch of additional info on how to's and um, insect guides, footage from commercial facilities, and all kinds of cool stuff. So. Uh, check that out if you're looking for a more formal education on aquaponic cannabis. Or um, We're also going to be adding more soil information this year so that um, it has a lot of additional living soil content as well. So uh, really uh, adding a lot more uh, to the whole scope of the class. So uh, regardless of what you're looking for, I think we're going to, by the end of the year, we'll have kind of all the content you're, you're looking for there. So uh, check that out if uh, it's something you're, you're looking for. All right. And we also do uh, two live sessions. Uh, I think we have one coming up this Sunday, right? This Mm, I, don't, I don't remember which Sunday it is. Either this Sunday or the next Sunday. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, we do that as well. So students can come on and join a Zoom class, essentially just like this, and be able to ask questions and uh, you know show their own grows and get advice. Uh, you know, a little bit more one on one. So appreciate uh, all the students that show up for that and interact. We always have a great time. So it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun and also gives us a way to learn about some of the problems that people are having that Marty and I don't run into so that we can help, you know, better round out the, the methodology for, you know, all different types of growers and, and their backgrounds. So it's a lot of fun uh, and very educational for us as well at the same time. So I really appreciate uh, working with the students all the time. Marty and I are constantly replying to different students a couple times a week uh, with their different issues with their home grows and stuff like that. So it's a, a lot of fun to help kind of work with people as they go through their educational journey in cannabis. Speaking of which, uh, I just wanted to give you guys a quick shout out before we really get into it. So this is the very first guy that I learned from uh, on cannabis. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen 
the video uh, I grow chronic and I'm just gonna like put this guy up on the screen like a, a screenshot but um I don't know if you guys remember this dude from I grow chronic he used to dye himself green yeah yeah so he disappeared for like a decade and just released some new content like in the last couple of months I hunted him down I finally found his phone number through a whole bunch of Google foo that would probably take more time to explain than you guys care to listen to and hunted him down. He's going to come on the show here in a couple of weeks, sometime probably end of March or beginning of April. Um, and he was the very first video content I ever watched on cannabis. I've read all kinds of books from Jorge and Ed and all the rest of them, but he was the first video I watched on, on how to grow weed. So it's going to be a really cool episode coming up as well. Uh, thanks a lot, James, uh, for joining us today. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and, and what you do? I know we had a huge uh, blast of a time out there in Michigan. Uh, your, your stuff was incredible. You had all kinds of amazing uh, herbs. So I uh, was really excited to get you on and have you, you know, tell us about your wizardry that you're doing. Bro, it was so great hanging out with you. Um, none of that was mine. I did not. I, I, was, I flew in from Canada. So that was all Michigan and, and driven in and, and there were so many great makers out there and I, I was blown away by the crowd and, and the quality and, and you know I, I made like I feel like I made a ton of like lifelong friends so it was it was super great it was great to reconnect with you I, I think the last time we saw each other we were at a movie premiere in LA for uh with Rosario Dawson and uh Corey yeah. Booker yeah, was actually, that was a fun night. Uh, we had that, a nice little smoke sesh there on the balcony with that Canagar and uh, all kinds of interesting people were out there. Paul Stamens was there. Yeah, that was a, that was a ton of fun. So, no, I, I, I thanks so much for having me on your show, man. I, I, I think it's so cool that you've been doing something like this for so long. Like, I, I actually just started a, doing a, a resin show focused more on sol the solventless world myself with a couple of friends and uh, we just did 20 episodes uh, a couple couple nights ago, and it was a uh, it was a big deal for us. So so we were really stoked about it. So yeah, yeah, this is it. it it's kind of snowballed into into something, but we're really proud of it. And uh, we just like to to bring on a maker every day, or not every day, every every week. And we like to go down the rabbit hole, not only about um, their their techniques, but as well as the, them as a person and where they came from and and where growing up and, and the life experiences that they had shaped what they, you know, how they turned out as a maker. And, and so um, I think it's really cool. Shout out to, to Shiragam from the Hashish Inn, that, you know, that kind of showed me that this was possible. I, I really took a lot of inspiration from him and um, we, we had him on in, as one of our early episodes and definitely feel like he kind of like blessed us and okayed us to, to move forward. And, and so, you know, really, really having a lot of fun with it. We've got Real Deal Resin on um, on Sunday. So I'm super excited about that. And we just had a really cool episode with uh, Ross Kaya Paul from Pacific Northwest Roots yesterday. Um, so that was that was a ton of fun. And, and Ross Kaya is always a, a fucking awesome guy. So um, yeah, I uh, a little bit about me. I started touching the plant in, in 2007. I really got involved with, uh, with cannabis. Um, I fell kind of head over heels in love with it in university. It was, a, I, I got associated with it a little bit later in life, but when I, when I did find it, I, I sort of fell pretty hard and knew that, that this was something that was going to be pretty much a constant in my life. And, um, you know, I was always the, 
kid who had problems sitting still and, and focusing and was on all different types of medication for ADD and the problem, the problem kid and, and finding cannabis was really something interesting for me as, as uh, I, I quickly started using it habitually as a tool um, and, and found a lot of uh, relief in it. And so I started cultivating pretty seriously in, in university. And um, when I came home from university and kind of came clean to my parents about what I had been doing for beer money, um, that was 2012 and they weren't too thrilled with uh, my chosen career path. And so um, after some discussion, I ended up working in commercial real estate and I did uh, land development and downtown office leasing in Calgary, Alberta. And that really allowed me to cut my teeth really quickly in the corporate world. I really enjoyed it because I didn't really have a boss. It was a very much a eat what you kill atmosphere. And, you know, if you didn't work, you didn't make money. And, um, and sometimes you would work and not make money. And, and I kind of liked it like that. Um, and I excelled there. And so after a while, um, the, the fast paced lifestyle of, uh, commercial real estate was, was quickly, was were really wearing on me. And, and I realized it wasn't something I wanted to do for any type of long-term. And if anybody knows anything about commercial real estate, it's not something you get into for a short period of time. It's something that you get into to build your book of clients and they continue to roll over through the years. And then you continue to make more and more money. So, you know, leaving commercial real estate after four or five years is not something that you often see people do. And, um, I just got to the point where I wasn't liking the person that I was in the mirror. And uh, so I walked away and, and sold my book of business to my partner, Chris Hong, who's an awesome, awesome individual. And I've got nothing but great things to say about him. And he's still, you know, working in that industry. And I um, took a bit of a walkabout and tried to understand really what I wanted to do. And it was actually my mother who suggested that, you know, cannabis is legalizing and I take a look at that. And uh, that really is a full circle thing for, for, for my mom. And, and you know, I, I've got a lot of respect for her for, to this day for, you know, turning around her views. And uh, so I remember in late 2015, early 2016, I think, I sat down and wrote 400, 500 emails to all these different publicly traded or new startups that were getting put together for what would be the suspected upcoming legalization in Canada. And, you know, I think I got three responses um, that will keep your, you know, resume on file. And, and realistically at that point, um, these companies were just, you know, one Brad and one Chad and a, and a, and a fancy uh, glossy pitch deck. And there wasn't really any need for any cannabis knowledge. And so I was really offering something that they didn't value at all. Um, so I ended up getting hired by a group um, called Radical Cannabis, and they're they're uh, quite a success story here in Canada. Um, and they were working on their retail program at that time. They were thinking that they wanted to be first to market with retail. Um, they ended up holding off on that, and now they're actually the ones uh, responsible for cookies coming to Canada. And so I helped them secure a number of retail locations across Western Canada 
dealing with B and C brokers um, and sort of just herding herding cats. And and you know, I was still very far away from from le- what I felt like legal cannabis was, and and I wanted to be as close to the plant as I could be. Um, without actually being in the grow room, even though I've, you know, I like being in the grow room. I, I don't want it to be my, my everyday job. I want it to be my, my, my passion and my hobby. Um, and so I quickly realized that that wasn't the locate place for me. And I got approached by a established small publicly traded company that was building cultivation and extraction facilities in British Columbia, Nevada, and California. Um, to come on as their vice president of business development. And this was your quintessential group of individuals that had no experience in cannabis, had no interest in cannabis. Cannabis was not a part of their lives. This was a reverse takeover of a mining co- an old mining company shell. And the minute that they attached the word cannabis to it, their market valuation went from you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $9 million to somewhere in the neighborhood of $220 million over a matter of months. And so when that happens in the, to a company, a company will leverage that valuation and, and, and raise or, or, or um, secure capital by, through various number of means. And so they had a bunch of money that they said, okay, well, we're a cannabis company now, we need to spend it. And so they went out and, and purchased a few licenses and didn't really know what they were doing. And so I came in as, as the resident cannabis guy. And I also came in as the only dual citizen on the team. So this was a time when uh, legalization had just happened. And there was still very much uncertainty around Canadians' ability to travel to the U.S. Um, when working in this industry. And so I was able to. Do you want to touch on that for two seconds? A lot of people don't know that a lot of Canadians were banned for life uh, from the United States simply for either owning, even something as simple as owning stock in a cannabis company and the Border Patrol finding out about it somehow. But if you were involved in the thing and listed as a CEO or a CFO or something else that was listed on like LinkedIn or something else that's going to get, you know, uh, mined by internet spiders and stuff that shows up at the border patrol and, and they can ban you for that type of shit. And I, I myself know someone that was banned for, for, you know, quite a long time because of that as well. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a difficult period where, you know, travels uncertain, uh, you know, traveling is always uncertain, but when you add that next level of, uncertainty it was just really uncomfortable and it still is for a lot of Canadians um to be honest um but I was able to feel a little bit more comfortable and 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 move a little bit more freely thankfully you know my mom being from the U.S. and my father being from Canada um and so I was really able to to dive in and, and that company gave me the opportunity to really understand cannabis on a much more macro uh landscape where you know seeing a facility get built in Northern British Columbia and the, and the ins and outs of the regulation, as well as the operational of just getting the materials up there. Um, in early days, uh, Canada had some ridiculous regulations. They still have some ridiculous regulations, but some, some even more uh, wild and ridiculous regulations. And, and they, the, one of the regulations involved involve bank faults and needing to have bank faults to secure your um, your biomass. And so 
bank vaults, A, immediately spiked up in price after Canadian legalization. And, and we actually ended up shipping one up from Seattle all the way to Northern British Columbia, uh, you know, a, a 10 foot by 10 foot bank vault. And, and you know, the shipping cost more than the bank vault. And, and you know, at that time, it was absolutely an exorbitant amount of money, but you, you had to do it. And shortly thereafter, the regulations changed and, you know, you no longer had to do it. But it was it was being able to see those things, those regulations unfold and, and the headaches that existed in Canada versus, you know, we were building an extract of a, a 40, a 22,000 square foot cultivation and a 17,000 square foot uh, extraction space. And in Henderson, Nevada, just outside of California and or just outside of Nevada, uh, Vegas. And, um, you know, how how different the, the regulations in Vegas were and, and how um how differently things operated and how, how some things were much smoother and some things were very 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 much more difficult um and then there were some greenhouses in riverside california that were um difficult and and very remote to deal with and and were purchased sight unseen and when i actually got out there i could i you know quickly realized why they were why the owners previous owners wanted to sell um but that gave me some incredible insight. I was able to meet some incredible people and network. And, and there was a tremendous amount of excitement in the industry. Steve, you were there. And, and you know, uh, it, was, uh, it was a completely different time. And uh, after that, I got approached by a gentleman to uh, help start a vertical aquaponics farm. And I think that's when I first, uh, Steve, you first came on my, my radar because I was just dove right into it. And, I grew up in the, uh, I spent a portion of my time growing up in the Caribbean and, and I have a real affinity to, to the ocean and fish and fishing and, and just fish in general. And, and so um, the idea of being able to work for uh, an aquaponics company and marrying those two things was really cool for me. And, and I kind of dove right in and um, we worked with a fellow by the name of Gary Chapman who was a leader in aquaponics. And I learned a ton from him. He had uh, been part of the research team that in the nineties had gone and gotten a certain genetic of this black Nile tilapia um, that he, you know, holds. And, and it was a really, it was a really cool experience. I, um, I ended up moving out there uh, for a year and helping that farm get started. And, uh, it was a really, really unique experience um, at, a, at a, you know, small family run operation. And, and I ended up parting ways with that group and going on to form a genetics company with an ex-partner of mine. And uh, we successfully deployed, I think, about 60 genetics into the Canadian space. And uh, we're able to increase the genetic pool of which Canada has to draw from. Canada has a really unique um, program where you're able or on how you're able to bring in genetic material where um, they only allow you a one-time genetic declaration prior to uh, immediately prior to granting your license. So the way it works in Canada is you have to build your facility to completion prior to uh, the submission of your application for licensing. And then once your application is received and approved, you'll be notified and you'll be asked for 
uh, among other things, a, a declaration of genetic material uh, uh, immediately prior to a date being assigned to your license being granted. Um, and sometimes you know the date uh, prior to that as well. It, it, it's on a case by case basis, but um, that allows uh, forward thinking companies and individuals to bring in large amounts of genetic material. But once they've brought it in, they, the, that, that's it, the doors are closed. And so they're reliant upon new market entrants or other market entrants who brought in other genetic material to, to trade and have commerce. And, and so they're, um, there's a real opportunity there in Canada for people who understand, have a deep understanding of genetics to, to really increase the gene pool. And so after parting ways with my last um, partner, um, I have started a, a consulting company here in Canada. And um, the name of the consulting company has just been recently sort of decided on as the Banyan Tree. Um, I, the Banyan Tree is, is, is something that's um, near and dear to my heart. I, I grew up around a lot of big ones in the Caribbean and um, they, they send their roots down from, from their branches. And it's, it's, it's actually quite a sight to see and, and something that really resonated with me. And, and I think, um, you know, the community that, that I'm trying to be, to trying to help, help build. And so um, I work closely with groups like Emerald Mountain Legacy um, and I help them uh, establish themselves in new markets, specifically Canada and, um, you know, once you're established in Canada, you're able to move uh, beyond to any legal market in the world. Any, any country that has a medical cannabis program in place, you're able to now move your intellectual property, your genetic material, whatever it may be, um, you're, you're now able to, to access those places. And so um, I see a tremendous opportunity for individuals who have been really focused on their state and optimizing, you know, getting as much as they can out of the state that they're in. And I, I really think that taking some of these individuals work or IP or, or, or brand that they've built and, and leveraging that, that equity and, and taking it somewhere where it could be moved not only to Canada, but internationally is a, you know, a tremendous opportunity. And so um, I'm really grateful to Ben and the Anderson family um, for trusting me with Emerald Mountain and, and, and the brand. Um, I don't take it lightly. I've been following that brand for a really long time. And I think the work that they've done is very important. Um, and I, you know, I, I see their work in, in many other breeders work. And, and, you know, for me, that's, that's a commendation of, of, of quality. And, you know, just coming back from Michigan and seeing the amount of, of really quality, uh, quality growers and, and breeders use not only using the, the Emerald Mountain gear to breed with, but also to uh, to just cultivate. And so, um, yeah, if you guys don't know the story of, of Emerald Mountain, it's definitely something um, I'd suggest you check out. Uh, GW Smokebreak and Daniel Montero did an incredible job putting together a little eight part series uh, about the history of Emerald Mountain Leg uh, Legacy and the story of Mandelbrot. Um, and that's, that's available on YouTube. We're just revising this website. So we're about to get all the, the, the links unage gated. So it'll be a little more friendly to the eye, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's really cool to be a part of, of something like that and, and, um, and help promote this brand. And, you know, I see a tremendous amount of opportunity 
with other individuals that I'm connected with. And, and I think that, you know, Canada is often overlooked being such a small population, less than what's in California. Um, people don't really think that, uh, you know, it's, it's so big and it's, it's not worth the effort. And, and in some ways I understand that, but, but that's your portal to the, to the world. And so, um, you know, once you're in Canada, you can be anywhere. Um, and that's not the case right now in the U S so, um, really excited to bring some genetics and, you know, possibly some seed production up to Canada and, and the Emerald brand. And, and we've been really well received and there's been a tremendous amount of interest. So, you know, it's really about finding the right dance partners. Um, it's, there's, there's an amount of, of corporate white collar, uh, business that needs to exist within a, a federally legalized system but it's really about banding together and, and trying to protect ourselves as, as community members of something that those people will never be a part of um, because there's a morality that comes with being part of a community that is the same community that you feed yourself from that is not a part of an individual who is not a member of the community from which he feeds itself from. And so I, I often remind people that, you know, we're, we're playing with more rules than these guys. And, and so, so we're already at a disadvantage and, and the way that we are able to, to, to level that playing field is communicating with each other. And, and historically, um, we've been a much more clutch and look uh, type uh, community. And we need to understand that we can't do that as much anymore because these mistakes are too costly and we're not making as much money as we used to be making. So we don't have the margins to, to fall back on these mistakes um, and especially in legal cannabis. And so um, I've kind of made it my life's calling to not only just generally increase people's access to quality, but try and act as a connector in our industry for, for the people who use this plant every day. And, and, and this isn't simply a paycheck um, to try and act as, as some type of connector to, to give these people a leg up in any way I can, because um, I've been put through the ringer in this industry and, and um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost killed me. And uh, if I can help, and, you know, just anybody. And I know that's happy as fuck, but, it, you know, this community has done a tremendous amount for me and I consider it, you know, my family. And so if I can do anything for, 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 for good people in this community who are about the plant, like I, I, I've got nothing but time for them. So uh, I've always, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the future and, you know, working with a number of different groups um, to promote their, their work and, and find different avenues of remuneration outside of what they're currently looking at. Like, I think that um, when I travel to the States, I see a lot of individuals that, uh, that are just thinking within the state. And, and I often tell them that, you know, you, you have to look up and, and see a bigger picture that I think that there's a lot of opportunity beyond that and guys building brands and, and, you know, traditional market brands and, I just see so much value in, in the community that's around us. And like, you know, we just were in Michigan and I just see like, 
you know, there's so many great people I met out there that I'm like, yo, these are the guys, these are the lifeblood of the industry. And, you know, it's going to take a lot of maturing for that industry to recognize how important these people are. And I'm just trying to help it move forward. Sorry, that's my, that's my diatribe. No, that's awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the Mandelbrot. Um, you had talked about that cultivar a little bit earlier. Uh, tell us a little bit about that because it seems like that's something that you're really connected yeah, to. Absolutely. So, you know, the, what made Emerald Mountain Legacy different is, is back before 64, before any, any of the, the laws were put in, a lot of cultivators up in the triangle were very aware of plant counts and typically not going into the three figures. Um, and Mandelbrot was born in the Midwest in a um, political activist family. And he was a free thinker and he left home at 16 and, and moved out to California to grow cannabis. And he, you know, met individuals like Kevin Jodry in the very early days. But what set Mac apart was Mac was opening up um, a tremendously large populations of old family purples, Highland Afghanis, um, and a couple other things to basically he was he wanted to bring uh, a gas profile to the coast of California that would finish early enough, be PM resistant because of the early morning fog and hold a, a, a gas forward profile. And he was able to do that by, by making these crosses and, and searching these large populations and, and taking these tremendous risks. And, you know, he was always known as someone who, who took tremendous risks and, um, and, you know, in doing so, he, he bred the Royal and that plant, I believe was bred and, and, and I could be wrong, but I think it was bred in the early two thousands and it's still relevant to this day. And, um, and so Mac unfortunately passed away, um, in 2005 and left behind a family and a young son and, his brother Ben um, stepped in and that changed from Emerald Mountain Seed Company to Emerald Mountain Legacy. And um, Ben has continued this, uh, the, the, the directional breeding that his brother started. And, you know, so much, so much respect to Ben and what he's done. And, you know, he's really been able to um, continue something for, for, for time and, He's made selections out of the Royal. He's crossed, you know, there's, there's some Chem D and, and Chem 91 influences in the oil spill and, and really kind of maintained his own, his own thing. And I, I think that's, you know, something that I was incredibly attracted to when I approached Ben just to see if he would be open to working together. And so, um, that to me is an incredible opportunity to tell a story. And in Canada, you are not able to have uh, a brand that is associated with any type of identity that, that you, the, the license holder, builds in. 
And so the way that lawyers are getting around these things is that they're seeing the value in, in tr traditional market historic brands and, and leveraging stories from, from other markets that are less regulated and, and utilizing those brands in Canada where they can leverage those stories. And, and so, um, you know, there's just a tremendous opportunity here in Canada for uh, a lot of brands, both in traditional brands, both inside Canada and outside Canada um, to, to come over here. I mean, uh, Indiva spent over $200 million on, on purchasing Wana brands and, you know, cookies has, has come through, like I said, radical or, or cannabis. And, and I think that that's only the, the beginning and, and we're going to start seeing more and there's going to be a, a regenerative um, sort of pure, not a regenerative, but a more purist, true to the plant consumer base that is going to need to identify with something other than a fancy Mylar bag. And, you know, those are the people that I'm here to help. So, um, yeah, it's, there's, there's just a, you know, as, as beat up and tough as the industry is right now and, and stretched out in, in black and blue, there is opportunities and it's really just about connecting and talking with each other and, and going to events and, and, and communicating. Uh, I wanted to welcome West Engine. I uh, just joined us while Big we up. were talking. Big up, Foden. Do you have any questions for uh, for James Jameson before we keep going? Yeah, so I will. I will well, first off, uh, he said he was from the Caribbean, so I want to know which island. It's a, uh, a little island called Nevis. So I know I I can see Nevis from island. I'm from Antigua. Oh, okay, okay. Nobody knows. Yeah, I, I can. I, I can see. I can see Nevis from a house. Oh, that's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, no, I uh, I grew up just at top of Shaw's Road, and um, that place has a special place in my heart. The first first place I ever saw anyone consume cannabis, first place I saw a plant. Um, yeah, no, I got, you know, I got nothing, I got nothing but love for the Caribbean. Right on, right on. Uh, and so you said once you get breeding up here in Canada, so you'll be able to sell to all the other, like the, all the producers, your seed stock and all that type of stuff. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I never knew that that was possible. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm acting as the matchmaker to find the right, uh, licensed group that, that we, that, that you're able to set that up with. And, and so I think that there's a ton of opportunity and, and really is just matchmaking the right groups and brands and individuals with the right people. And, um, you know, a lot of snakes, a lot of, lot of, lot of landmines to navigate up here in Canada. Um, the, it's not the difference between Canada and the U S is the U S legalized state by state. And so there was still that fear of federal, uh, illegality. And so you had a lot of hesitancy for, for certain people to, to get involved. Whereas Canada, it was a lights on lights off it's illegal, it's not illegal. And so everybody and their, their mom rushed in. And, and my finding is it was a lot of the people who were struggling to be successful in other industries and then quickly found success because money was literally falling from the sky. And it's taken a while for those people to get washed out and it, it's still happening, but um, there's slowly improvements in the Canadian space. There's, there's people from the traditional market that are slowly moving into uh, 
legal market roles and 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 quality is slowly increasing so i'm i'm really happy to you know see it trending in the right direction it's not moving as fast as i want it to but you know any movement is good movement um yeah no. is there any particular cultivars you like to work with i smoke a lot of like i smoke hash mostly um and okay. you know, if i'm locked away on on in an island um I'm smoking GMO. Um, my good friend uh, at Canadian Dabs, he has hunted a fruit joy, which is a Barbara bud. And Barbara bud is a Canadian plant uh, cultivar varietal here made by the great gardener, which is, I believe, a shishka berry cross. And shishka berry is another Canadian varietal. Shishka berry is a, um, I've grown shishka berry before. That's a great strain. Reader Steve. Shout out to Steve. Um, and it, that's crossed to the papaya. So it's the barb to the papaya. And it is uh, a really beautiful fruity strain. Um, but right now in my personal garden, I'm growing the Royale with cherries, which is a sky jarro by Mean Gene from Mendocino crossed to uh, the Royal. And um, yeah. I'm just super like, some of the fattest leaf, fan leaves that I've seen on indoors under LEDs ever, um, which is really cool. Just for me, I really enjoy it. I'm I'm really excited to see how she how she structures up, and then I'm also have some uh, some just some banana OG that I run that just makes good hash that puts me to bed at night. Um, so yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff, but like if you were gun to my head, desert island, like jar for the rest of your life i'm probably gonna take a gmo jar nice good choice good choice now, what about you, yourself what's your uh, island strain who's that me yeah man you, you'd think i would know the answer to my own question eh? um <laughs> you asked this question yesterday that's why i was i thought you'd have it ready mm -mm. <laughs> I would say probably uh, if it just had to be one, it'd probably be like OG Kush or, or Sour Diesel or something like that. It'd be really, uh, set, uh, yeah, something like that. Something strong. Something strong. Uh, yeah. I would say Sour Diesel. Sour Diesel. That's a good one. Probably go with the G13 hash plant cross. Or like oh, yeah, that's another, that's a really good choice, too. You fucking like good. a super silver haze hash plant cross. Some, something where you yeah. got like those bigger trike heads, but that racier, like work all day kind of high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the amount of work that Bodhi's done with that 88 G13 hash plant is like, it just speaks to like the, the, the quality that's got to be there, you know. I have some some seeds I got from Dragonfly with medicine of a G13 hash plant, like an older line. And it is like my favorite daily driver. I I got like 50 or 60. I, bet. I just popped like three or four of them wherever I'm putting roots down at. And I always find a nice female that just is really good to me. And uh, yeah, that is that is my smoke all day weed. I, yeah, I had a friend give me a cut of hash plant way back in the day. Would have been about would have been about 2000. And I had no idea what I had. 
and like grew it the first time through and it just came out amazing and then and then i let it go because i had all these seeds I wanted to look at and i didn't keep the cut and i've regretted it ever since it's the it is one of those things that i've just thought about and thought about and thought about like fuck why did but i just didn't even know how to clone in those days my other favorite strain i have is my blue hash and I'll, i'm happy to i, I want to sense a couple of rounds out i know um mr green jeans is doing another uh, seed run of that so we'll, with his he's a really two really good male cuts so he does an open pollination with the two really awesome males uh, and a couple of really badass females uh, and it's on like an f7 or f8 now that he's bred out so it's it's pretty stable um so uh i have a blue hat it was originally a blue dream crossed with hash plant crossed with afghan one uh, and there's this amazingly heavy yielding blue dream cut that i got from work so i just took a cutting from work and then we crossbred it with an Afghan one that was really hashy and dumped well. And then with the, the hash plant, which was just, uh, I don't even know the origin of the hash plant. It was just, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure it's Bodhi, but because of the person I got it from, I know it gets a lot of Bodhi seeds, but it might've been something else, but I'm pretty sure it was a Bodhi hash plant one. And then um, those three ended up making up the, uh, the blue hash strain that I have now. And it puts out like tree trunk fucking stalks, like really heavy, thick stalks. Like, like an extra oh, 20% bigger than a normal plant. And it does really well in the wind and she can put up with decent wind, even though she's all nugged up and she, without a bunch of supports. And she's, re, you know, she, she does really well in the rain and, and storms and stuff. And she just, you don't have to babysit her, right? You can put her outside, be kind of a, a newbie or grower and it works fucking awesome. Like, uh, and even if you don't, like she'll yield well, even if you give her some structure. So, and just resistant to mold and, you know, general insects and just a really you know easy to grow plant that you don't have to fuck with all the time have you grown ice cream cake steve i have uh, at a couple ice cream cake and wedding cake both actually uh and um uh i i found that there's still a little more phenotypical variation especially you kind of have to tease out a good pheno to find stuff although i have seen some incredible stuff with ice cream cake in terms of like even plants that weren't the heaviest yielding nug wise were just coated off top to bottom in the top half of the plant and trichomes, like on the, on the stalks, on the leaves, like all over the whole plant looked like they were like dusted or some shit. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, which I always thought was a super cool trait of that and wedding cake. I've seen that more than any other strain on those two. I've, I've, we, there's a few good cuts of wedding cake that are up here in, in the legal system. And, and uh, that's just been one plant that I've kind of, seen in multiple facilities do what better than than anything else that they're growing and and be really uh resistant to you know a lot of different growing practices or corner cutting that these large-scale cultivators do and, and it's uh it's interesting there's uh the way that the canadian system works is that the government has inserted itself into the supply chain so um, if you're from Cali, the government is our distro and there's only one distro in the whole state and each, and I'm talking every province being a state, um, would have its own different set of distro rules, but the distribution is run by the government, the provincial government. And so the provincial government is not staffing cannabis people and so when they have 
two people come forward and say, I've got ice cream cake and another person comes forward and I have, I too have ice cream cake. If another person comes forward and says, I have ice cream cake to that provincial distributor, they go, nope, we don't even want to look at it because we have two, two different skews of ice cream cake. There's no way that your ice cream cake could be any different than those two skews of ice cream cake. So until those two suppliers of ice cream cake can't, can no longer supply the, the province's need of ice cream cake, you're going to just have to wait. And so, of course, what happens is, you know, you put it behind your back and you go, I've got animal face or animal cake or, or whatever you need to say. And so, unfortunately, the way that Canada's looking is that as far as anybody who's part of the culture and, and really derives a lot from the name of the varietal, we're, we're, we're likely going to get another layer of confusion because you're going to have Canadian companies and rightfully so I wouldn't blame them. You know, uh, we've all grown the same cut as another guy and we've all seen ours grow better and we've all seen ours grow worse. And, and so, you know, it's just really frustrating when you throw all these hurdles at these smaller scale traditional market guys trying to transfer in, they get the money together, they build the facility, they get the, they, they get the investors off their back, they grow the weed and then, they say, like, for example, um, there was a group that released way too much black cherry punch. It was, there's nothing wrong with it, but it was a great cut. They just, they just got giddy. They didn't, and they, they talked to too many people and they, 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 they gave it to too many people. And so everybody had black cherry punch to the point where I, I knew a guy who was running a micro in British Columbia who grew black lime reserve no no what was uh yeah the uh yeah it was a mean jeans black lime reserve and it was too close to um it was too close in name to black cherry punch so he had to rename it even at that to get the provincial buyers to look at it and so in canada we're just creating problems on top of problems because you know we have we have uh, the government inserted into our distribution line so um, you know, be very wary of strain names always, but when you come to Canada, especially. That's, uh, that's kind of like, it's just, um, until you have weed people designing these things, you, you, you're going to have problems. Like you've got guys in Canada who want to make high quality hash, and then they ask for uh, a cold chain transportation guarantee through the provincial distributorship and then and the government says no and there's nobody to go to there's no like okay well we'll start our own business and we'll do it our way like there's not even that optionality and so you know we've stifled our 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 market you know in every other state that legalized there was an early days where you were able to um you were able to have a a large amount of of product variety to the consumer to see what the consumer wanted and to spark interest in, in new consumers. And in Canada, you have to go jump through so many hoops and, and so many regulatory boards that you can't come with unique and small batch product offerings. So you need to have, there's no ability to put 90U full melt on the market because you would need so much of it and to have so much of it on hand in case there's a reorder necessary to keep your spot in the chain, um, that it's just not feasible. 
And so we're swimming with a hand tied behind our back, but everybody is. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, woe is me up in Canada. And I work in different markets and I, I, I see different things. I, I just think that Canada is where I've got the most experience and kind of, you know, probably where less people from your show have been on. And so I think that there's an interesting, there's interesting opportunities up in Canada because of the regulations that are in place. You know, because we're federally legalized, we can be a springboard anywhere in the world. But because we're also the first G7 federally legalized, we have some pretty dumb fucking regulations. And so it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a catch 22, but there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there and, and, you know, just stoked to be stoked to wake up every day and work in it, you know, and help people. Especially with how the U S handled the CBD regulations, that was super fucked. Um, if anyone knows the, the, the drama around that and how the U.S. basically tricked Canada to, to kind of screwing itself on that. Um, but uh, do you think that there's a chance that the Canadians are going to come back and do a revision on the regulations or you think they're going to keep them pretty tight? Uh, I mean, I, I, I wish, I hope that they would come back and do revisions. It's really, we really have very few examples in history of a government who has highly regulated an industry and then slowly deregulated it. Um, but I just think that, um, you know, the, the Canadian government is going to need to see a loss of, of a, a tax base loss. And, and, and I think that they'll only see that through federal legalization in, in the States. Um, Canada has just fumbled, just absolutely fumbled an incredible opportunity to become a global leader in cannabis and through poor leadership oversight and vision they have just squandered an opportunity and and um you know really put put themselves at a disadvantage well we'll add that list to the list of failures by captain blackface <laughs> yeah please do for those yeah anyways I'm sorry. One time, okay, maybe you were just not aware, but three times, okay. <laughs> you can't deny that one. You certainly, yeah. you certainly lose the right to call anybody else racist. That's for sure. Anyways, we've talked about that plenty on uh, on Fiumi's show, which is a a little bit different types of topics uh, that we have on this show. So. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, so. Um, what are some of the, the um, other different, maybe more uh, popular cuts or cuts that you're working with currently there up in Canada? Canada's strange. Like they're three to five years behind different markets, but really influent. Like it's so fun for me to watch because I'm quite immersed in, in cannabis culture. And, and there's definitely a California meme culture that somehow... <laughs> has influence on like minor decisions in the Canadian C-suite. And so I'll, as a genetics guy, I'll have conversations with them and they'll be like, oh, we need this and this. And I'll be like, where did you, because um, a lot of the, the demand is through these marketing groups in Canada is done by marketing teams that, that aren't, uh, raised in traditional cannabis settings and markets or, or how, or, or they, they, they weren't involved in cannabis prior to being hired for this marketing 
group and and so they they don't they don't know how to connect with the consumer and i think that there's a there's a big disconnect because they're getting their data from places like strain print and 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 other data sources that i don't believe to be fully accurate on on real consumer trends and so i see you know blue dream and then oreos so like it the the dichotomy of of what people want is all over the map um originally in canada everybody wanted a uh high thc sativa pure sativa because they wanted uh when they asked do you want it energizing or do you want it like in a sedentary they said oh i want energizing and so you know, what people didn't understand is a, the flowering times involved to achieve these things. Also the, the, you know, the, the facilities that you would need and, and the effects, you know, a lot of people can't handle long flowering sativas. It took me years to be able to even be remotely interested in them. Um, you know, as early as three years ago, I would avoid them like the plague because I felt like I was going to have a panic attack and die when I smoked them. Now I'm interested in them. Um, but, but, you know, people don't understand what they want because when you're looking at cannabis from the outside in, it's such a sensory experience that it, it can't be just assumed um, the same way that I think that somebody who doesn't drink alcohol, but is involved in the comings and goings of normal everyday life in North America could work for an alcohol company and, 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 and relate to them and add value but not drink alcohol. I don't agree to that to be the same in cannabis. I don't like to work with people that don't consume cannabis close directly. It's just hasn't worked out for me in the past. Um, th there's a connection to the plant that a daily cannabis user has that somebody that uses cannabis on Fridays, you know, after they drive up to their cabin, it just doesn't have. And, um, you know, I, to each their own and, and everybody can do whatever they want to do. But for me, there's, um, it's very easy to tell when a company is being guided by a, a real consumer versus somebody, a company that's being guided by an overpaid marketing team. Um, and in Canada, the amount of money that, you know, we raised and, and misspent, like, you know, these, these fuck ups that, that are being made up in Canada are being made on massive scale, like massive scale. Yeah, which one? Which one was it that had the uh, put it right next to the airport and didn't put pre yeah, Aurora? Pretty sure it was Aurora, was it? Yeah. Yeah, put their huge, you know, multiple hundred thousand square foot facility directly next to airplane exhaust, so it was all yeah. jet fuel. So that was cool. Uh, yeah, apparently jet fuel is not good for your weed. Yeah, well, know, jet right? fuel. <laughs> So does that mean you get like ice cube and it's like, yo, I heard you like some jet fuel. So we put some jet fuel on your jet fuel. It's like pimp my weed. Jet fuel yeah, terps. There's a lot, of, a lot of mistakes being made up here. Boost your fennels, right? Isn't that what that does? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so what kind of, um, uh, what do you like to do as far as selecting for hash strains? Uh, you're a, a big hash uh, fan. Your you, your podcast is about extraction. Um, what yeah. type of trade are you looking for as far as ones that are good for washing or good for extraction? I'm um, I'm looking for 
sandy glands that when I push my fingers together and pull them apart, create stringers, which let me know about oil content within that resin gland. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking for open bud structure um, or if it's closed bud structure, but I still have that, um, that stringer uh, from, from pressing my fingers to get my thumb and forefinger together after, after touching the, 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 the cola. Um, then uh, I just know that it's a little bit more work for me um, as I take the plant apart as, as I prep it for um, freezing. So I'll have to uh, open, open that closed bud structure up a little bit more. Whereas on more open bud structure, uh, like a GMO, there's a little bit less work. Um, and then I'm looking at the yield from the wash bin uh, to the to, to full spec. So uh, my 45 to my 160 um, or my 190 dependent, like it, it's all dependent on the, on the resin. And then I'm looking at the yield from the, the full spec uh, dried hash to off the, the, the rosin press to see if, it got, if it's better off to be left in, uh, intact as a gland or, or created a, a, an oil as a, as a, as a rosin. Um, and, you know, I, I work with people that are way smarter than me and, and way better than me. And I talk to people that are, are way smarter than me and more talented than me. And, and I surround myself, you know, one of the best pieces of advice is, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So, um, I have been able to learn from so many really great people and, um, and help them along their way. So this is all knowledge that's been passed along to me and, and I've been able to apply it and, and really kind of look at it both indoor and outdoor and, 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 um, and yeah, that, that would be what stands out to me. I've been trying to look for traits associated earlier in veg and earlier in flower. Um, and I just don't think I have as much experience as some of the, um, the other guys I know, you know, mean gene from Mendocino when he's looking for OG, um, plants and he's stem rubbing in veg he's looking for like a, a pickle a, a, a very pickly smell a vinegar pickle smell um dill and uh and i haven't been able to associate any type of characteristic like that um with resin and i definitely have been surprised before where i thought something would do well and it didn't do as well but more more often than not it's the latter where I thought something wouldn't do well and it, and it did. Um, so I think that the, you know, I just find mechanical separation of, of resins are completely fascinating. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about it forever, but the, the, the true and honest uh, quick summary is, is a finger test to, to feel if you can feel sand, like a sand between your fingers that's going to tell me that there's a thick waxy cuticle. And then if you can press that, those sandy heads and then pull them apart and there's enough oil in them to make a, a stringer um, and, and hold it up to the light because sometimes they're hard to see. Then, you know, that's something I, I really like. There's a, a, a gentleman named Simply Adam um, who is 
a good buddy of mine and he is creating or has created a product called the resin dial. And uh, I think if, yeah, if you can pull it up, Steve, this is a really cool product that um, he's designed to be able to take. Uh, I don't know if it was Ken Wall who first developed this jar tech or, or who it was, but um, uh, this one or a different one? No, if, if you can go to Instagram and then search resin dial, R E S I N D I A L, it's, uh, it's a really neat CNC machined uh, stainless steel uh, column that you're able to run a quantifiable amount of material through and then actually apply a bit of, of science um, to look for yield. Because the, the, traditionally the jar test was to take 10 grams of, of uh, material and yeah, there it is right there. Um, a couple of videos he has. Um, if you scroll down that video right there, I think he takes it apart. Um, but yeah, you, you can, uh, this is going through the different screen sizes that are in the resin dial. And this is going through the prototype, but basically you're able to run the material through and catch different micron sized material at a small, very small amount of wash, which can tell you whether or not that plant is worth mechanically separating or not and saving you a ton of time and a ton of money. So um, Simply Adam is somebody that if anybody's interested in resin should be following. He's, uh, you know, constantly teaching and he does the coffee and donut show with Shiragam from the Hashishin and, and, is a resin class and uh that guy is just awesome i've got nothing but yeah see this is how it, it sits in the it sits in a regular ball jar and you're able to um actually run the material through that jar to see what you're going to come out with instead of just shaking shaking some ice and some uh uh, uh flour up in a jar and, and seeing what comes to the bottom you're actually able to see okay what what is actually coming out at what micron size. And so that's something that I would suggest to anyone seriously breeding or, uh, or selecting for, for hash. This is something that would save you a lot of time and money and it's gonna be available at the end of the month. So give them a follow and uh, yeah, place an order. That is really cool. That's, yeah. that's super awesome. Yeah, uh, he, he's put a lot of thought into this and, you know, there are guys who just can't stop thinking about resin and, you know, they, they all find each other and, and just nerd out. And, and so it's a really collaborative environment. And he's, he's definitely a thought leader in our space. And we've got a, we actually have a show. Um, usually the, the show that I do on, on YouTube is, is with myself and, and my two good friends and, and co-hosts. And then we usually just have one or, or one individual, or if it's a, a group, we have both individuals on. But um, there's been a debate in Canada because there's been a very much a resurgence in, in traditional aged hashish. And, uh, and there's been a, a conversation going on about pigment and how it relates to quality in resin as far as, you know, uh, a gland's exposure to oxygen and, and 
UV light and, and, and things of that nature. And so we're going to have Simply Adam and uh, Kind Selections, Van Gyption, a whole bunch of industry thought leaders on both the, the age solventless, more traditional Frenchy school of thought side. Bird's going to be on there. And then um, we're going to have like Kind Selections, um, hopefully a, a few other big names in the in the solvent side and, and we're just going to sort of hash it out for lack of a better term and, and talk talk about pigments and what we can kind of just try and find like where where do we agree to and then what is just opinion because once you get to opinion then then you know it's it's kind of like okay well this is cool that we all agree to this part and then this is just a difference of opinion so i think that you know the most important thing is for us to just keep talking and, and keep building our community. So yeah, check out the resin dial. If you're a hash maker and you don't know about Simply Adam, you know, check out the Hashishin episodes, check out, yeah, check out resin dial. He's, he's awesome, man. He's right there, bro. He's, he's, if you just, uh, just below resin dial there, he's at Simply Adam right there. Yeah. He's, uh, he's got some such cool macro shots. If you want to click on him and scroll down a little bit, um, if you keep going, the, no, below that, that one, that one. Yeah, the microscope shot. Yeah, if you click here, I think he's got a video of actual, if the next one over, it's a video. Uh, yeah, he's, it's, I, I love what he's doing. He really takes it. Uh, he's got a video of oil actually leaking out of the, the basal cell or the, uh, the, the base of the, of the gland of the trichome that's been freshly separated. And it just gives you a real idea of, of kind of what's happening. Um, and then he really did his research. He went back into like, I think he found some book in like Italian that referenced trichomes on a, that's the, that's what I'm talking about. This, this was a really cool image that he, uh, he captured. And, and I thought, you know, that gave me a, a real idea of, of, you know, what's happening in the water um, and, you know, what's actually happening once that gland is, is severed from, from the base of that, that stock. Hmm. Very cool guy. Yeah, that's super chippy. Mm -hmm. huh. We'll have to see how... If we get him on some time as well, that's super exactly. Cool. I'll make the intro, man. He'd, I'm sure he'd love to come on, and, and he, he he can take you down the rabbit hole of some really cool science stuff. Like he's he's deep as deep as I've I've seen anybody go on trichome structure. Yeah, it's a really cool Instagram there. Yeah. Um. So tell us a little bit about you have a whole bunch of other cool stuff here. You have um, green tech and uh, environmental. environmental. I, I recently started working with Green Tech Environmental. Um, these guys, this is a, this, this is a family run business. This is a one, you know, couple guy operation. And, and I first met Kevin Shale in like 2018 and he was going to MJ biz and we met on a plane and uh, he, he loves air filtration and, and is as obsessed with it as I am about, you know, quality cannabis. And, and so uh, we stayed in touch and he got so busy during COVID because he has um, these machines that basically use an, uh, an ultraviolet 
light that's reflected off four different proprietary alloys to create um, hydrogen peroxide at a very low level in the air. So not only is it sterilizing the air actively, but it, it's doing it passively um, and on surfaces. And so he became very busy during COVID. And then when COVID, or I don't know, like, I don't know, ended or slowed down, he, his focus started switching back to cannabis and, and I had just started my consulting company. And, and so we linked up as, you know, good friends who knew we always wanted to work together. And um, I saw a tremendous opportunity for these units um, in here in Canada. There's a competitive unit called the ProGuard um, that is, was very popular for a while here and, and was employed by a lot of facilities. And, and this is just a, a slightly better version or, or better mousetrap for, for less money and, and cost less to maintain. So um, this is uh, a really cool unit for suppressing uh, PM and it's, um, it's just something I've realized how important, you know, my personal brand and reputation is. And so I don't associate myself with things lightly. And I've not only employed these things in my own cultivations, both in my home and, and in my medical cultivation and in my commercial cultivation out on the East coast. But, um, but yeah, it, it's a technology that I, I think, uh, really helps with overall san sanitation and, and, and prevention of airborne pathogens. Um, I also have, they have a, a, a smoke suppression unit that is, I don't know if you can see it, just behind me um, right here. And it's been running this whole time and it's uh, super quiet. And it, um, it has a, uh, a MRF, uh, for I'm not the technical guy, but um, it's got it's it it's able to completely keep my house very fresh smelling, and that's no small feat. Um, it will actually clean up to 3,000 square feet, which is crazy for that unit. But um, and I've got it in a couple of head shops in in Calgary and my local head shops here, and and they you know they've got an upstairs place where they puff pretty tough, and they've loved it so. It's been cool working with those guys. Um, I also work with, uh, so yeah, if you check those guys out, it's Green Tech Environmental Canada. Um, if you have any questions about it, reach out to me. Um, I'd love to talk or and if it's technical, I'll, I'll make sure I introduce you to Kevin and, and they've got some really cool products. They've got uh, this, oh, this is, a, this, this is a really cool product that I use in my grow. Um, this is from them and this is like oh three so it's safe totally safe you just fill it with water and it creates ozone and so it sterilizes surfaces in in super short amounts of time it'll kill any sorry it'll kill any microbial or, or um live any 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 life on on surfaces don't so don't spray it on your plants unless you need to but um but yeah, it's something that, you know, is, is low harmful and, and, and sterilizes and cleans. So I, uh, I'm a big fan. I wanted to give a quick shout out. Um, 
Brennan Rust and myself and Jordan River from Growcast will be out at um, Gayotes uh, Bar and, and Restaurant tomorrow in Oklahoma City. Um, we're we're going to bring a bunch of seeds with us and give out some seeds and um, hang out and smoke and have some food, have some beers. That'll be a good, be a good um, fun time. So definitely check that out if it's something that you're uh, if you're in Oklahoma City or somewhere nearby. Uh, come hang out tomorrow. We'll be out there for a couple hours. Yeah, we have a super awesome community out here. Uh, Oklahoma's got a, a lot of people that love to come out and hang. We actually uh, did a meetup a month or two ago. And we had about 80 people show up. So wow. uh, it, was, it was pretty badass. We were not expecting that many. <laughs> that was cool, though. We were happy to have them. So um, uh, tell us about you have uh, also work with some rosin presses. Yeah, uh, there's a group out of Calgary actually here that I bought my, I think it was my second press from, and uh, they manufacture warranty. They've treated me really good from the start. And they, uh, and I, you know, I've, I've been rocking with them ever since. And so um, I, uh, I'm a big fan of, of, the presses they put together i've traveled across the countries with them i've drove across the countries off bumpy roads with them and in, in in boxes and you know uh put them put them up on the table and, and everything worked and um when i did have any issues they were super fast to to turn turn things around for me and, and, and get me taken care of so i've got nothing to good things to say about these guys and uh it's a father-son team and you know that's the kind of groups that i like working with i like you know working with family family businesses that, you know, don't, aren't, you know, a bunch of guys looking to get their third vacation home and, and sneak away to the golf course and whatever. It's just, you know, that's the, the people that I end up kind of attracting myself to. But yeah, if, if, if you need a rosin press in Canada, these guys are, are super awesome and, and I'm happy to hook you up with them. And then, oh yeah, Gemisert. So I also work with an awesome dude out on the East Coast. Um, his uh, his tag is Farmer Jamie, but he has the Canadian rights to um, these testing machines. And so what the Gemisert is, is it's a non-destructive um, testing machine that uses far red infrarescence, I believe, and, and don't quote me on it, but, but to uh, assess the THC, CBD, CBG, and uh, water content. Yeah, near infrared spectrometer. Yeah, NIRS. So, um, so this is a super valuable tool for me because um, if I do uh, cure my cannabis for smoke for my head, and I do keep a little bit of a head stash, um, I want to watch my water activity. And water activity meters are like, I think the cheapest one is like twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, and and I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but they're they're not they're not cheap, and and so um, this was a really cool product for me because I, I not only was able to test THC levels, which you know in any new burgeoning market is very important, um, you know, Canadians pretty much in the legal space exclusively value cannabis on THC levels. Um, whether that's right or not, I'm not here to debate that. And that's not right, but um, that's what it is. And so um, I've 
was introduced to this machine four years ago and was very skeptical about it. Um, and there was three or four other machines that were introduced at the same time. And this is the only machine that still remains. And um, I just recently started working with these guys. I have a unit that's sitting on my desk here that I test uh, a lot of the cannabis that comes in. What I'm finding personally is it tests about 4%, consistently about 4% lower than the labs up here in Canada. Um, so if something tests on the Gemacert at 20, I'm typically seeing it at 24, 25. Um, and so as long as I'm, and, and I've, I'm seeing that consistently. So um, it's a very valuable tool for me. Um, I know I'll be sending a unit down to Emerald Mountain or uh, yeah, down to Emerald Mountain for them to use in uh, some, some of their selections. Cause you know, some people it's very important to have high THC. And, and so selections are definitely being influenced by that. And so to have, have this unit is, is, um, is a really cool tool for, for somebody who's involved in this industry. And so again, if you want to reach out um, to me about this, I'm happy to, to answer whatever questions I can and put you in touch with, um, with Emilio. Emilio is, is the man. And, and if Gemma Sturt ever watches this, you need to pay that man more money. Um, that, that, that kid is, is, is your golden goose. Um, but yeah, these are really cool machines. And I, I, it's cool because it's a non-destructive test, right? So like you can test it and then you can smoke it or you can test it and then you can be like, I'm going to send this exact bud to the lab and smoke it. And every other test that I'm seeing is a destructive test. And like you got different guys with different SOPs, like some guys just cut a bud off or take a bud out of the bag and send it in for testing. Well, that whole bud, including the stem inside it, gets tested gets ground up and tested and then some people are like oh well i know that whatever i give you gets ground up and tested so i'm actually going to remove the i'm going to break apart and remove the stem from the flower and send it to you and, and so you know right off the bat there you're not comparing apples to apples and i'm not saying one's right or one's wrong i'm just saying that we're not comparing apples to apples and and you're if you if you give an opportunity for money motivated people or any people to gamify a system they're going to gamify it and if you if your only quality marker is thc levels and it's a self-submission to the thc level you're, you're going to have a, a messed up system you know like what what canada should have done is instead of inserting themselves into the distribution chain as a as a as a as the distribution hub for every province they should have been the the only the single tester of all cannabis cultivated in canada and so every fucking piece is judged on the same pcr machine or the same 20 pcr machines and then that would create an even playing field but of course, you know, they didn't and, 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 and that's the way it is. And so there's no sense crying over spilled milk, but wouldn't it be nice, right? Um, well, it's, it's strange to me that they still haven't gotten the standards figured out because like that is one of the biggest problems with the U.S. market is that there is no federal standards or, or even so like and how why this matters. And when we say standards, we're, we're talking about what, what they use to, to calibrate the machines. It's a different definition of standards, I think. A lot of people think about we're not talking about like a set of, of SOPs. We're talking about a, a pure chemical that they can purchase from the government, uh, from a government supplier that is a universal standard for all of those chemicals. So you can buy pure, for instance, 
You can buy pure cocaine, THC, CBD, CBG, all these things from the DEA. Uh, uh, there's two DEA suppliers that are certified in the United States for calibration on that stuff. But there's no like requirement that the people calibrating these machines purchase from those two suppliers. They can purchase from wherever the fuck they feel like they can get their shit from. And that's part of the problem you have with all these labs and why you have such schizophrenic stuff. And it's only in the lab's best interests to boost the numbers a little, um, you know, so, uh, you know, they're going to get more customers or people will stop using them if the numbers are lower than this other lab, you know, and that's, that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. I've got, uh, you know, it's, it's a mess up here in Canada. I've got a good buddy who's part of a good lab that I'd be happy to introduce you to, to have on your show. Cause you know, he's super educated in, in what's going on in the lab space up here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a shit show for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, you had a super cool, uh, dab temperature thingy. Uh, do you want to, can you show everybody that or do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Tell us yeah. about that. That's super cool. I'll pull that up. I've got a, uh, a couple of them. What is, what is a few different versions of uh, these dab temperature? Um, one's called a Terp. One's called the Terp, Terp Temp Tech. Sorry, Temp Tech. And one's called the Dab Right. And then there's also a unit that's called the Octave. And it's a, a desktop unit that shines a, a laser at uh, up at, at whatever temperature. But when you're dabbing concentrates that like hash rosin, which is typically, you know, very difficult to, to attain and, and of a very high quality, um, you're dealing with volatile, you're, you're, you're vaporizing volatile organic compounds. And at certain temperatures, those volatile organic compounds um, convert into benzene and benzene is a carcinogen and it's very harmful and what benzene does is it actually like attacks and kills the bronchioli of your lungs and so it's really important for you to dab at the right temperature and so these units are very expensive but they allow you to dab at uh at a repeatable, create a repeatable experience for yourself so that you're able to go back and have an enjoyable experience each time. And, you know, the difference between 50 degrees is, is dramatic um, when you are dabbing. And so uh, this is something that I'll travel with, you know, wherever I go, um, even if I'm flying somewhere and um, a friend's bringing me their rig and I'm not, I'm not flying with a rig, I'll, I'll uh, I'll travel with, with my dab right so that I know what temperatures I'm uh, I'm dabbing at and and yeah for any concentrate consumer that who who smokes out of a rig and, and either uses the 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 bottom of their wrist or a, a timer um, you know to each their own but every once in a while that doesn't work and and you suffer the consequences and and these you know make that possibly less so. I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm a huge fan of concentrates. Um, definitely cannabis, you know, has had an incredibly positive impact on my life. And, and so, yeah, I'm, uh, 
that's a that's a daily tool that's like phone wallet keys dab right <laughs> yeah those are definitely interesting so what is your favorite uh, type of extract uh, what, is, what is your uh, your go-to is it the, the hash rosin or is it something else no i think it'd be full melt i think it would be just you know the resin in its most purest form um i think that uh it's the the difficulty in a attaining it maintaining it and then actually uh uh smoking it and then and then the cleanup from it that makes rosin more attractive to me as as an everyday thing um if somebody was serving me dabs i'd love to be served just dabs of melt over and over and over and i can hand them back a, a dirty rig and they can go clean it um but if if i'm doing it um I'm able to experience more dabs faster with rosin. Um, and I enjoy that, that convenience as well. So uh, I go back and forth, but if, if it was just a pure experience basis, I feel as though the wax decoding of the resin gland acts as kind of like a, a guide and a prevention from dabbing too hot so that, uh, it, it kind of delivers like you're going to, it'll be immediately apparent to you. If you're dabbing melt too hot, it will not be apparent to you if you're dabbing rosin too hot. And so melt kind of has those safety wheels on it. And the high that I get from melt is more three dimensional um, than the high that I, I, or the effect that I get from most rosin. Um, I get closer to that, you know, high school experience um, when I smoke melt. It's more, med more stronger medication. So do you, are you, when you say that, are you talking about like six star hash or? Yeah, I'm talking about, yeah, like five and six star where, you know, you're using. Sure. Can you explain to people that don't know what five and six star hash is so that. Um, I will get some. Thank you. So for those of you that aren't aware, so five-star hash is just really, really good, well-washed hash. Uh, that's just trichome heads that's been separated out, usually 73 micron or 90 micron, sometimes 120 micron, but usually the 73 and 90 only um, uh, for most people. And then six-star is when they separate it with electrostatic separation, which is a whole other uh, uh, process, which I'm sure he's about to explain to us far better than I can. So... This is just a little bit, and it's a little greased up, but that's what um, isolated resin heads look like. And it's, it's, it's basically like beach sand. And if you're able to keep um, this quote unquote beach sand cold, it will remain um, in, in that state of, 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 of a number of, very uh, dry resin heads. Now, if you expose these heads to longer periods of um, increased temperatures, they will start to grease and, and melt together and, and create much more of a, a, a really thick concrete consistency. And um, resin is, is the, 
this is typically left to 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 only makers um it's very hard to transport it's very hard to 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 carry there's a, a few washington kaya in washington he does sell some melt and, and you're able to cold chain it but this is the type of material that you wouldn't be able to access in the canadian legal space just due to to, to unable to cold chain um so there's a number of ways to clean the resin um, after you've dried it. One of the most popular ways is static sifting, where you're positively charging a, uh, you're taking a, a piece of wax paper and wrapping it around uh, a DVD case and, and attaching a positive charge just by rubbing it against, you know, a, a clean piece of cloth and then pulling the um, heads from out of the particulate through, through static charge and then taking a paintbrush and, and separating um, those from the contaminant. And so um, that is something that is pretty much the top of the mountain as far as my opinion of, of, of concentrate consumption. Um, and it takes a long while to get there. I always feel bad for somebody who gives somebody their first dab and it's melt. Um, I kind of feel like you're setting themselves up for disappointment. Like I, I would much rather have my first dab be shatter or some soupy butane than um, melt because there's, there's, there's the joy of exploration is, is kind of taken away from you. Um, but there's, there's always you know, that quest for better. And um, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, it's a community that I've found that I've incredibly aligned with and, and you're always looking for the, the better, the new flavor and, and the new effect. And um, yeah, I, uh, and then there's, there's, there's some schools of thought. Like I, I talked to a lot of makers that completely think the opposite and they're like, uh, squish it, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to, I don't want it. I want it squished out into oil. And if it's that good melt, it'll make that good of uh, rosin. And I've got a lot of good friends who think that way. And so it's definitely a personal preference thing. Um, there's some, there's a, a bit more of a traditional process to, to smoking like a flag of, of melt than, um, than, than rosin. But yeah, it's, it's really to each their own. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a huge fan of Six Star. It's just very, again, like you're saying, extremely hard to come by yeah. uh, unless you make it yourself. Yeah. But always one of my favorite things that usually gets broken out at the Regen conferences, uh, which is uh, the nice thing. I guarantee this year, like when we go to Maine, it'll be big time. Like Mission Hill Melts is a good friend of mine and, and they're going to be out in full force and Symbiosis is solventless and like, I feel like Maine's going to be crazy. Like Maine is filled with heads. Like the amount of fire people I've met just through like my show and connecting with people is, is, in Maine is, is I'm really excited. There's also um, a lot of people from uh, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, Boston and, you know, other parts of the New oh, England yeah. as well. So there's people yeah. from, you know, New Hampshire and Vermont and, and all over. So it's always a, uh, really fun time even people from new york are coming up and uh it's not that much fun. it's like four hours four or five hours from new york city and uh it's it's 11 it's 12 hours 
of like and three flights for me to get there i was like what i, I was surprised for some reason i thought it was closer to toronto but i guess i fly toronto new york and then new york portland but uh but i'm stoked i can't wait like i was just talking to the guys out there today and i i just rented a house right by the farm so i'm not even as far as uh you guys are at the hotel because Dutch told me where the hotel was and I was like, nah, I'm gonna find a closer place. <laughs> Hotel's like 25 minutes away. It is what it is. I know it's definitely in a, a more remote area for sure. Oh, but sure. it's a, a weed farm if my memory serves me correctly, isn't it? I it's believe. definitely a farm of some kind. I'm very excited. Hold on, I will pull this up here for everybody. Um you guys can check it out here for Maine. There we go. Um, we'll be out in Dresden, Maine. So it'll be a good time. Um, you get seeds from it. Um, the Josh's the uh, root beer crossed with uh, Lime River Reserve. Or, um, so uh, really, really awesome seeds. And then we have a really awesome lineup of speakers, uh, tons of local breeders, a huge seed swap on Sunday. Um, we're all bringing stuff. Kevin brings stuff. I bring stuff. Josh brings stuff. Um, you know, everybody brings uh, seeds. So it's a good time. And then we also have Oklahoma as well uh, at the end of May. Or I'm sorry, end of April. Um, so uh, April 29th and May 1st. You can get more information on that at regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. Take you right to the link to the uh, Regen conferences. I'd yeah. love it. You should go. Anybody thinking about going, you should go. It'll be a ton of fun. Yeah, just look at any of the, the replies on any of the posts from anyone that was there. Uh, you posted quite a bit about it. Uh, I posted quite a bit. Everyone that was there basically did. It was just a, a really wonderful conference and just a really positive community out there in Michigan. I really can't emphasize that enough uh, on the environment there. Wow, look at that. So that's a flag of five star, but it's pretty clear. Like, I mean, the camera doesn't do it justice, but it's, uh, it's you could probably read some letters through it. So it's, uh, it's definitely nice. But yeah, what about you, Steve? Like what, what are you working on in, in, what's taking up most of your time these days? I've been just working on a couple of different estimates. There's a facility of working with an organ that's going to be both cannabis and medicinal mushrooms and doing a hybrid system for that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll take the CO2 from the mushroom rooms and pump it down to the cannabis because the mushrooms will be upstairs and the weed will be downstairs. So that's that's pretty cool. And then I have a, the farm in Georgia is about to be you know fully online. So that'll be awesome. Gearing up for the summer, we'll have some outdoor and some indoor there and the greenhouses. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoy spending time out there in, in Georgia. It's a really beautiful place and um, probably one of the prettiest places in the country uh, up there in, uh, in Raven County. It's a, a really, really, uh, you know, there isn't a lot of old forest left out on the East Coast. And it's really, you know, some of the last Southern old forest. So it's really, really nice up there. Um, so uh, super stoked on that. And then, um, so working with a group in Argentina right now, so that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, and then um, some Caribbean projects, uh, one down in um, Westmoreland, I'll be down there too at some point in the summer as well, uh, so in Jamaica. So 
all over. And then also South Africa, the group I'm working with in South, South Africa just got some new owners that they got purchased by another company, but they're wanting to build like a 200,000 square meter uh, aquaponics facility in South Africa now and uh, uh, and really gear up. It's going to be, you know, obviously not this year. It's going to take a couple of years to, to build out, but they're doing uh, really expanding the facility down there and doing some cool stuff. So um, yeah, I don't know. All kinds of crazy shit right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have any up? Uh, so uh, when you you do a lot of breeding as well, correct? No, I'm around breeders, but I mean, other than a few pollinations, I've uh, I've I, I wouldn't call myself a breeder. No. Okay, I apologize. So tell us more about your your show uh, and some of the different um, topics you've covered to date on your your podcast. When you're done, your dad. <laughs> Absolutely. What about you, Wes? Do you have uh, anything else that you wanted to mention real quick while he's uh, dabbing? Nothing particularly, but come over and check out Fumidor's show on uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. I'm over there giving a hand and over here sometimes now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm at Fumi. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm definitely stoked to check out his show. I, uh, I, it was super great to meet him over the weekend. Yeah, it's but, a little, uh, little, little bit different a show. It's like uh, hanging out at the bar with your friends and discussing yeah. a little, little bit of everything. It's a, it's a different show. It's different. Totally, it's good. Totally, totally, totally. Like we were, I was explaining. We talked about. Uh, actually, it was Fumi that told me taught me about the Olga of Kiev, uh, with the sparrows and the doves. For anyone that doesn't know, Olga of Kiev uh, was this really badass lady. <laughs> in the medieval times and she was besieging a, a city somewhere near Ukraine and uh, they had the city completely surrounded and they had it you know there was a siege for a while and then she was like well I'll let you give up if you give me two three sparrows and three doves or whatever from each household so like cool we can totally do that like if that's all you want that's that's like that's cheap like we thought you wanted like gold or women or weapons or whatever we can totally do the birds so they give all the birds over and they were ones that were nesting in town or that knew that it would go back to the town for safety. So they tied string to them that had uh, pitch and tar and sulfur on it and set them on fire and let them loose. And they went back and started a firestorm and burned the whole city down. So it was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> pretty, pretty badass. The Ukrainians have been, you know, <laughs> badass motherfuckers for a long time. <laughs> even the women <laughs> yeah no the uh the show started out as as just a uh a thought i i during covid lockdown i had made some good friends on clubhouse which is just like this chat room map that you kind of find like-minded individuals and the idea moved from clubhouse off clubhouse onto youtube as as sort of a, a virtual sesh as i'm i'm good friends with um one individual who's in british columbia and then another individual who's in toronto and uh so we we just wanted to get together and and you know we were already doing these google hangouts and, and things like that and, and we thought you know the conversation we have is pretty high level and and 
you know, luckily enough, our network is good enough where we think we could get some, some guests on. And, and so it started out. Um, and I think my first, our first guest was Colin Palmer from Vessel Life Science. Shout out Colin for being a real G. Um, I've known Colin for a few years just through Hash Church and I think Clubhouse too. And we kind of just clicked on a number of levels. And so Colin came on and talked about what he was doing in New York State in Maine. He'll, he'll be at the Regen Conference in Maine. I just remembered that. So I'm super stoked to see him there. Give him a big hug. Um, and then, um, yeah, after that, we had Chaz Walters on, who's like this super, super talented dude who's just like a sleeper in Canada right now. And he worked in Cali in Washington. He knows Dutch pretty well. Um, and he is up in Canada uh, chilling with his wife and, and, you know, skiing Whistler and, and trying to figure out his next move. But that dude's a super talented hash maker and, and grower and just about it. And uh, what was next? I mean, we, we've just, it's, it, oh, and, that, and next was Shiragam. And, and after Shiragam um, from the Hashishin, because, you know, I'm the kind of guy I always want to know about people's backstories too. And um, I listen to everything that Hashishin's ever put out. And um, I just never knew about Shiragam. And so it was really cool to like interview him and learn more about his story. And, and immediately we kind of got tapped in with his people and started interviewing guys like Simply Adam and met Mishnell Meltz and, and we're just having good people on and, and, and talking about, you know, our different paths in resin. And I went down to Hall of Flowers and Emerald Cup last year and, you know, connected with so many good people down there and, you know, talked about doing a show and they were like, yeah, absolutely. So I got a bunch of people from the Cali market on and, and it was cool because we do like an episode and it'd be a small, not a small, but a, just a traditional market Canadian guy. And then the week after it'd be like a, a larger scale um, legal market Cali group or, or, or you know, a group from out east in, in Maine. Um, and so we, we pop all over and, and really just kind of tell the stories of individuals who are, who are actually, you know, making something, touching the plant, creating, um, you know, I think those people really get pushed to the side, um, and, and sometimes in, in legal cannabis. And so it's, those are the people that I want to hear from and, and talk to. And so it's been really cool. And it's been something like, uh, I've gotten used to doing, you know, where, if I don't do it and I'm traveling, I'll miss it. And so um, we did uh, Ross Kaya Paul, I think I mentioned yesterday, and, and we're doing Real Deal Resin next week. And then we've got uh, a local Canadian guy, Steve Solventless. Um, and then that, right after that, we're doing uh, the, we're bringing on the Brian Tist, who's the lead processor at Heritage Mendocino, which is like a really cool, um, hash focused company um headed up by cherry uh cherry blossom bell um out of ukiah and uh or Yukia. but uh but yeah it's been it's been cool getting to to talk about your passion and and you know at some point everything stops feeling like 
you know, work and it's just, you know, you're talking about what you love and, and, and what you do. And so, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been cool, man, but we're, I think we're episode 22. So nowhere near, I think you said 277 today or something. That's crazy. That's yeah, just 279. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, no, we, it's, it's fucking crazy to me. In fact, um, in two weeks will be six years that, that we've been doing the show so yeah it's pretty wild <laughs> definitely didn't think like we've had all these cool guests that never thought i'd get a chance to talk to uh way back then and now uh, half of them uh, i'm you know lucky enough to call friends so yeah <laughs> it's all about for sure i've met some really cool people on the show so do you have any other advice for people uh, that want to get into extraction, especially people that want to get started, maybe good resources for learning about, uh, you know, the different methods for people that are maybe just getting going with their first couple of grows? Sure. Yeah. Um, my advice for people get going with their first couple of grows is don't get caught up in like analysis paralysis. Don't get, don't get paralyzed by watching all the YouTube videos and reading all the books and, and, and just do it, you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to YouTube video yourself out of these mistakes. You're just going to have to make them. Yes. There's stuff you can learn and watch out for, but just start. I see a lot of people like waiting way too long to crack their first beans because they're like, I've just got to read more, get everything right. And it's so complicated. And, I think you just have to do it and, and nothing's going to be perfect your first time. Um, my advice for hash makers is um, learn how to work with less than desirable material and you will be very, very successful and never need to look for a job. Um, a lot of hash makers take the stance that they're just messengers of the plant and and just if if the resin is the the their reflection of the grower and how well the plant was grown, and that's very true. Um, and I'm not arguing with that, but I, I definitely think that if if you are familiar with resin and how resin works, you should be actively researching and working with older, less desirable material to see what form factors and products you can create with that. And I think that that skill set will be very valuable for you in the future. Um, and then my advice to anybody just trying to get into the industry that's feeling like it's, it's like it's overwhelming and there's no way in, like it's a brick wall and it's just like, there's me and it's, it's on the other side. Um, like write down and diarize where you want to be or what you want to be doing and then put that away for six to 12 months and take whatever job you can get in the industry because the industry is so rapidly changing that um, horizontal uh, integration from one company to the next is very commonplace. And so it's such a young industry that if I see somebody's resume and they moved they were here for three months and they were there for four months and then they were there for six months and then they were there for eight months. 
I don't, I don't red flag that at all. I look at that almost as somebody who knows their value and is always looking for the next opportunity. And, you know, somebody I might have to, to pay more attention to as far as making sure I keep them happy if I want to keep them around. But, um, and one of the biggest problems you see in the cannabis industry is just failure of management or just shitty management that doesn't know how to like, I can't fix that if the owners are just stuck in their ways or management stuck in their ways and won't listen to what they need to succeed. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, if I repeat myself till my, I turn blue, like what, you know, you can only do that so many times before you just need to move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, and, 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 and don't cast pearls in front of swine, you know, it's something that really resonated with me um, in this industry is that if, if people aren't listening to you, shut the fuck up, stop talking. Um, and if you're not, if, if they are listening to you and, and you're not being valued for that, shut the fuck up, stop talking. Um, don't talk just to, you know, if, if you're invited on a facility tour and you see something, don't point it out, just observe it. And if they're not willing to pay for your knowledge, then, you know, that's, that's their own fault. We give away a lot as passionate people around the plant because like, we just love it so much that it's like, Oh, like, and it's almost a little bit like, I want to prove that like, even though I've got a beard and longer hair, that, but like, I add value to you. And like, there was a long time where I like, I was in this, like, like, like I want to show you that even though I look like this, I can add value. And, and, and it takes a little while to grow out of that, but, and, and we're all guilty of it at some point, but after a while, you know, you learn from older people telling you, keep your mouth shut on tours don't give away, you know, what you would charge for and, and understand that these people will charge you for the same thing. It, it's not, it's not the same as when you're dealing with somebody you might've met at the regen conference and you visit their farm and you're like, Hey man, like I've been studying this for the last 10 years. And I want to tell you that, that I'm going to save you a bunch of time here on your farm. Cause I know you're a real person. This is like, you know, these are big businesses and, and, and these people are, are business people and and if they if there's an advantage to be taken they're going to take it and they're not going to feel bad about it when they lay their head on the pillow at night they're going to they're going to tell their friends about it about how how much they fucked this kid over this hippie kid and they're going to be stoked um it's just a different group of people so you need to be viscerally aware of you know who you're dealing with and and what information you're sharing because you're doing yourself a disservice talking most of the time Great advice for sure. Yeah. And uh, again, a lot of us have been through the ringer and uh, it's half the, half the battle of dealing with the industry is just no real, no, I've yet to meet a real cannabis person who has, who doesn't have a, a few major scars, you know what I mean? Cause, cause we just love it so much that we're willing to, you know, maybe overlook a few things to make something work. And, you know, ultimately we learned that those things can't be overlooked, but, um, you know, we definitely, we definitely have to learn, learn ourselves in one way or another. We get got one way or another. Yeah. You gotta be at least a little bit jaded. Or you, you <laughs> <laughs> right? I always, when I first got involved, I always was like, why are these guys so grumpy? And then I understood, oh man. So yeah, I, 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 I see it every year more and more, but I, I, I want to be a part of that positive change. And 
I think I am, um, you know, trying to do move that dial every day and, and, you know, couldn't imagine being, being anywhere else or doing anything else. So I know where I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, do you have any uh, favorite cultivars as far as ones you like to work with for extraction or washing? Um, I kind of like, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's always funk rank, uh, even gas, but, but more funk than gas. Um, there's some stuff like these I-95 crosses from green team, uh, that I've heard produce a really unique, um, like decay profile that, that I know I'm attracted to. Um, so yeah, like for me, I'm always looking for, for, you know, those rank offensive terps that maybe aren't for everybody, but you know, if you, if you love them, you love them. Um, so, you know, that I'm, I'm naturally attracted to GMO. There was a group out on the, in the interior here in BC who did a GMO back cross, or I think they S one it, opened it up, called it OMG. And they came out with some really cool um, profiles on, um, that GMO side that I hadn't tried before. Um, other cultivars that have really been impressive for me. Um, I mentioned the Fruit Joy um, and the Banana OG is something that I like as a daily driver. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, there's a lot of stuff from Bloom that I've, I've looked at as far as like some of the fruit and the, the San Sauchi is, is a pretty interesting turf profile that I'm definitely going to be running again. Um, I've got, oh, banana runts is uh, from Soulfire is something that I'm, a friend of mine is, is looking through right now. I had that before and, and really enjoyed that artificial candy banana turf. Um, not something I would want to exclusively smoke, and, but definitely something I would like to have on the table. Um, and then, you know, like I love a good sour diesel and, um, you know, an OG Kush. I'm more of a, a classic guy. Uh, I don't need the, the candy gas. It, I, it, I don't mind it as long as the gas is forward on it and the candy is back. But, um, yeah, for me, like uh, an OG uh, for flour and then a GMO for hash is kind of what I would, um, what I would really gravitate to as far as like, I'm, you know, somebody who consumes a significant amount of cannabis. So I need something strong to feel it. Do you have any other advice for people getting into the Canadian market that are either getting in on the micro license scale or even in the, you know, uh, just involved in the, in the industry in general. It seems like you've had a, a lot of experience up there. Do you have anything you want to tell people as far as the market up there or working in the market? I think that if you're getting involved on the micro side, you need to identify, solidify, and work towards owning your distribution channel to market. Because if you are just growing weed and selling it to somebody who's branding it and then owns and possesses that sales channel, 
they have all the leverage and it's just a matter of time before they begin to squish you. And we've seen it in almost every other industry where the, the farmer is the first to, to feel pressure. And um, I would urge anybody who's starting a microprocessor or cultivation or anything to watch, go on Netflix and go to Rotten, the, the series and watch the Purdue chicken episode because I believe that we are headed towards a Purdue chicken event in not as much of an event as, as just a scenario in uh, cannabis. And, and what, what I mean by that, if you don't want to go watch it, is that Purdue chicken doesn't grow or, or it doesn't farm a single chicken. So what they do is they have two revenue streams. They have the, they have the chicken meat sales and they have the financing that they offer to farm chicken farmers that want to set farms up. And what they do is they drop off the genetics, the chickens, the chicks at the start of the growing cycle. And they give the farmers feed for the chicks and they reward and, and they give them a number, acceptable number of losses um, for, for when pickup comes. And then they send the, um, they, they send the trucks to come pick up the chickens when they're fully grown and they pick up any remaining feed that the farmers didn't feed to the chickens. And the chickens are then weighed and the feed is then weighed. And the farmers are remunerated on a sliding scale based upon how little feed they used comparatively to how much chicken meat they produced. And so the person that used the least feed and produced the heaviest chickens gets the highest dollar per value for his, for his chicken. Whereas the person who used the most feed for the lowest weighing chicken, it's the lowest dollar per value. And this is a very aggressive sliding scale. And none of those farms are Purdue farms. They all have their own names and their own stories and their own families, but none of them get recognized. And so they have no leverage and they end up getting squeezed and pushed out. And, and there's a lot of sad stuff that happens in industries like that. And so we're barreling towards that in cannabis and, and, we have to recognize that and, and, and decide where we want to stand. And if you want to stand with the small guys, we need to figure out how we're going to protect our path to market. Because if you think that um, growing quality weed without a brand is, is enough, it, it is for a while, but it's not forever. You need that brand. And so that's my advice is that own, you know, congratulations, you have a license, congratulations, you're growing weed, congratulations, you're doing what you want to do. And unfortunately, you're gonna to have to continue moving forward. And you're gonna to have to solidify and own that path to market and your brand to, to feel comfortable and sleep at night. Otherwise, you, you're just growing chickens for Purdue. And that's definitely a, a great point. Yeah, for the for, um, and that's for the micros, and then for for big business, it's 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 respect it, you know. Respect that you don't know what you don't know. Respect that you know they're, they're the. Show me another, 
a legal industry that has a, had a magazine that grew year over year for, for 40 years during prohibition. Um, you know, there was no heroin monthly or, or anything like that. And, and, you know, this is a culture that's been going on for a long time. And, you know, when, when people, when these C-suites just roll, just, just don't even acknowledge um, the sacrifices people have made, the, the time people have put in, the, the energy, the effort of the culture that's been created around this, it's disrespectful to us. Um, it's deeply disrespectful and it just creates a, a stronger, a, a bigger divide between you and I. And you, the C-suite, is just as responsible as us for meeting you guys halfway. And we both need to exist in this industry, but we need respect. And, and if that means that there has to be a generational purge that, you know, there are some stodgy old white guys that won't respect me because I don't wear a collared shirt then we're just going to wait it out because I'm not going to put on a collared shirt, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's always, I think, put on us. And, and I, yeah, exactly. It's all, you know, exactly what I'm talking about, Steve, you made your decision a long time ago. It's always put on us, I think. And, and I think that you need to understand how, how integral we are to, to this. And, and the more you push us away, the more sterilized your cannabis will become and the more the divide will happen and, and, you know, that's not necessarily what anybody wants. And so I think that there's a symbiotic relationship that needs to be formed here between the roots and the suits, but there needs to be a level of respect that flows both ways. And right now we're not feeling that level of respect. I think that was a very great way to put it. And yeah. I also don't appreciate the value of people that have, you know, very plugged into the industry or have a lot of experience growing lots of plants you know they're just like oh we can get another one it's like yeah but there's only a few people that have grown really a large truly large scales yeah and they don't understand that at all oh well, we'll just get a tulip grower i know a really good tulip grower you know or, oh yeah or we'll just get a uh, somebody with a phd in botany or something it's like yeah but they've never grown cannabis they don't understand this plant yeah. you know oh man the amount of facilities in canada that i've seen that are built to you know, just race car standards where if you put competent cultivators in, they would be growing bumper crops and uh, you put PhD scientists in there and, and it is just, you know, PM ridden, just, you know, cause you just don't know what to look for. And, and, you know, these mistakes get made and eventually, you know, these companies get righted, but I, I, I just think that there needs to be a little bit more understanding um, yeah, between the, the two the, the two parties, like you know, it, that's that's what I'm that's what and I'm. I, I feel like organic natural farming now almost has a better idea of uh, uh, what's going on as far as you know um, competitive exclusion with microbes and 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 just overall plant health in a large, especially um, polyculture environments where you're growing different types of crops or cover crops and things, they don't even understand half of that stuff. And trying to explain it to someone who's trying to teach you, well, I learned in this book and it's like, yeah, but like that's old tech, the old teachings, like, uh, you know, everything's changed so much because we've had access to ability to test a lot of this stuff so much more in the, in the last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and, and quantify this in whole new ways that we just simply didn't have access to that was cheap. You know, and, and we're about to have a whole second revolution with that as well. As far as DNA testing, you know, we're going to be able to test, you know, what microbes are in my soil and put it in a little container and plug it into your computer or your cell phone and 
have an analysis of it in you know a couple of hours here before too long and um you know you can get that now on the a little bit more on the expensive side but that's going to come down in price quickly because of the you know the the current world events as far as viruses uh, going on you know it really made that technology it kind of forced the technology to come down in price and uh, it's going to benefit agriculture immensely here uh, very shortly super excited about that and something i think is going to help us unlock a lot of the secrets that we haven't had a chance to you know stuff that i thought might take you know 50 or 100 years i think maybe if we crowdsource it uh we can figure this out in 10 or 20 you know maybe i'm overly optimistic <laughs> the, same thing, the same thing with genetics right like i mean like how are we at some point you got to look at it like music and sampling music and so you know dependent on how it works out once that technology becomes more available you're really going to be able to basically what I think is going to happen is <clears throat> a line is going to be drawn in the sand and they're going to say anything predating this work is not uh, applicable to these new laws we're going to put in. And if that pisses anybody off too fucking bad and uh, everything from this date onward is going to fall under this very similar to a music licensing type style and i feel as though we're we're not very close to that as far as do i think that that's going to happen in the next five to ten years no but the next 10 to 20 years yes i think that you know genetics is changing quickly there's some interesting patents that have already been placed that i think will create some very interesting scenarios in the future but ultimately i think it's going to be music sampling and and you know being able to secure plant breeders rights on things is probably pretty valuable. I think it's very difficult and it's a bit of a moving target, but it's very valuable. Absolutely. Um, is there any um, um, uh, other things that you wanted to talk to us about as far as genetics and plants? You seem to know quite a bit of, down that space. I'm trying to think. I. Uh, I think we've kind of covered it. I mean, you know, I think it's it, if you're, oh yeah, I do. I absolutely do. A lot of people um, have spent a lot of time in the legacy, traditional, whatever you want to call it, markets, phenol hunting, really great varietals. And when they test their varietals uh, through a certificate, a COA, they, um, those varietals are testing at like 18 to 22%. Don't get rid of those. Those are really, really good. They're, they're super valuable. They're just not valuable right now. Um, in the Canadian market, anything over or anything that doesn't hit above 22%, it, it, it doesn't have any leverage to, to garner a, a top of market price per gram. And so, um, Right now, companies are only interested in THC levels. I believe that will change. It, it, it might take 10 years, but it will change. And if your thing is special enough, it won't be valued right now, but it will be valued later on. Um, I believe, you know, Jackson um, or Mean Gene to be one of the uh, best breeders out there, but his gear 
doesn't hit high numbers. He doesn't, he breeds for love of the plant. He breeds for, you know, flavor and effect, not for, he's not reading TA, he's not checking COAs. And so um, if you have some of his gear probably, and you're like thinking about popping it in the legal space, personally, I'd hold off because I think that there's going to be a time when it's way better and more valuable to you to look through it. Genetics are like fashion. Genetics are like music. It's cyclical. It moves in a cycle. Um, and it is something that you need to understand or you need to hire somebody that understands um, and, and that can kind of understand where we're at in that cycle, where we're going, what's coming up next and what's in the future. And, and so, you know, my advice is if you've got something special and you know it's special and you're being told it's not special by some suit, that does not mean it's not special. You just have to wait. Um, my other piece of advice is that if anybody tells you that building your brand, whether you're in the legal or traditional market, isn't valuable, they're wrong. Um, if anybody ever tells you that you that brand won't be your your brand image or whatever you're building won't be worth anything ever they're wrong um just because something isn't worth something right now in a in a very fast changing market um doesn't mean it won't be valuable in three years when we first legalized in canada there was absolutely no way a legacy or traditional brand would be have any kind of path to a legal Canadian consumer. And now today, uh, well-established traditional brands who operate and, and move correctly um, are beating away offers with sticks. And so um, it, 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 it's, it's all about timing and, and knowing what you have. So that, that would be my advice. Uh, we've kept you for quite a long time. Uh, I don't want to keep you the whole night. I'm sure you have uh, uh, other better things to do than uh, sit around and talk with me. Uh, but uh, I do appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Uh, it's really great to have you. I'm glad to get you on and have you tell us all about the cool stuff that you're doing and uh, all the awesome work that you've been up to. And uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Uh, let me pull up your, uh, your links again so people know how to find you here. Yes. Thanks so much for having me on, Steve. It was great reconnecting with you. And I'm, I'm, you know, definitely looking forward to seeing you again real soon. And yeah, this is me. If you want to reach out, um, you know, absolutely. I'm, I make myself pretty available to everyone and uh, pretty public. So. And he also has the Fires Fire podcast. Check out Fires Fire, like and subscribe. We stream on uh, Dutch's channel as well. So we also stream on the Regenerative Cannabis channel um, just to kind of get it out there and get our viewership up. And we really appreciate Dutch for that. Um, but yeah, we've uh, check out the show. We, we, we like it. I hope you like it. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for both of you for having me on. I really appreciate your time. And uh, he's got his Instagram for Fire is Fire. Instagram. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, he'll be out at the Regent Conference in Maine. So will I. Uh, a whole bunch of others. I uh, heard Brendan Rust is going to be out there now. So it's going to be yeah. fun times. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, man. Yes. And, uh, definitely, look forward to definitely looking forward to listening to your podcast.
Absolutely, brother. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Nice meeting you, man. Well, that was awesome. He was a great guest. He was a great guest. Really fun guy. Uh, really awesome dude in person and uh, really knowledgeable on a, a wide range of stuff. So uh, super cool to have him on the show. Very wise guy on the Canadian market, for sure. Awesome. How are you doing, uh, Wes? Great, man. Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Uh, how's your garden? Uh, garden's doing great. Garden's doing great. Got some Mendo Bendo coming down. Uh, got some uh, Oaxacan Thai uh, on flower. Got some black garlic from Jordan of the Island flowering as well. Um, got some... Uh, sorry, what's... Fucking Thai doing? Doing really well. It's doing really well. Uh, just like it's, it's only probably three weeks in the flower and it was just setting when I left. I, I haven't seen it in a week or so. The wife's taking care of it. So it's, it's going to be doing great. Cool. Um, it's been busy, busy. Jordan River was here yesterday. We had a cool episode yesterday with me and Gina Mendocino. Uh, we have a new, another episode on Monday um, with uh, Scotty Real of Dude Grows. So that'll be a lot of fun. They're going to be talking to us about his grow, grow beads and uh, some of his other stuff. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Scotty is a, a long, I think Scotty might have the record for most number of times on the show in terms of guests um, that isn't a panelist. Uh, but he's a good friend of mine. I always love hanging out with him and hanging out up in um, Colorado or any of the cups. I've been to most of the cups now. I think I only missed one or two of the, the, the Dew Grows Cup, so that's always fun. And, um, yeah, trying to think of anything else coming up. All kinds of cool guests. And then next Thursday, we have the director of aquaculture for um, uh, UC Davis, California. So that's going to be really awesome. He's a super, super cool guy. Uh, a chance to connect with him at the um, Aquaponics Association Conference. Took me a minute to remember which one. So many conferences now. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, that was that'll be a really great guest. He's uh, super knowledgeable on a crazy amount of different topics, um, especially aquaponics, but as well as like um, he also works with a group that does um, uh, abalones, uh, urchins, and kelp, and they grow them all in the same system. It's super cool in different chambers and all kinds of cool trippy stuff. So uh, definitely looking forward to that and. Um, yeah, check, definitely check out the uh, Regenerative Conference coming up uh, in um, uh, Maine uh, at the end of March, uh, regenerativeorganiccannabis.com. Uh, and then also, let me throw the flyer up again. Uh, tomorrow, Brendan Rust, myself, and Jordan River will be out at Gayote's uh, Bar and Grill uh, in Oklahoma City. Uh, you got the address there if you want to check it out um, from 420 to 8 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, be a good time. We'll have some seeds to give away. A bunch of other cool stuff. So uh, come out, hang out, smoke with us, have a beer, have a sandwich. It's good times. That'd be cool. That bar. Be cool. They got gluten free, dairy free, vegetarian, all the things. So nice. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of good community out here in Oklahoma City. So it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Um, already, uh, how do people find you, us? Uh, you can find me on uh, over at the Chronic Table Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and uh, Bruise with Buds on Saturdays. And uh, you can find me on Instagram under West Engine. 
Thanks for having me again, Potent. You can check out um, uh, Fumador's channel, Fumador and the Flavors. Yeah, man. Uh, and then you can find me and Marty's class over at apmjclass.com. Uh, we have a couple hundred or seven, eight hundred plus slides now on there with new content each month, uh, two live sessions and a bunch of other cool stuff. So check it out. It's a cool, uh, really great class. Um, try to have a lot of really great, unique content, tons of disease guides and all kinds of cool stuff on there. So um, really helpful if you're getting into home or commercial. And then we're also available on your favorite podcast app. Uh, or if you're looking for nutrients for aquaponic cannabis system, uh, you can find that at AP Newts or apmjnutes.com uh, for that. Uh, and uh, you can find us on your favorite podcast app, APMJ. Growing with Fishes podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on basically everything Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all the things. So, all right, guys. Uh, we had a blast. Um, really great guest tonight. And uh, we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Uh, hope to see anyone that's out there in Oklahoma City. And then if not, I'll see you guys on Monday. <laughs>